Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. From NBI Studios, this is Truth and Justice, a crowdsourced investigation in real time. I'm Bob Rock. Ahoy, friends, and thank you for tuning in to Truth and Justice. I am back this week, and you are listening to the Friday follow-up for Season 12, Episode 41, End of the Rainbow. This week, we heard Bob break down the second half of LeClaire's trial transcripts. We dove headfirst into dissecting the footprints, as well as the wheelbarrow tracks. This episode I've been waiting for, and today, I'm joined by Bob and Janet, and we are going to dive into your listener questions right after this break. Texas Ranger James Holland is a legendary interrogator. They call him the serial killer whisperer. You can't hide those indications, and that's why yesterday I knew that he did it. But now, shocking interrogation tapes reveal how the super cop really operates. And that's why they asked me to come in, because I'm special. From something else, The Marshall Project and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Smokescreen. Just say you're sorry. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Say goodbye to the dish and hello to Skystream, the new way to get Sky over Wi-Fi. So you can get unmissable Sky shows like The Last of Us and Succession, as well as Netflix and Discovery Plus, and loads more, all in one subscription for £26 a month. Oh, and next day delivery with no upfront fee. Skystream, TV simplified. Head to sky.com. Requires Skystream and broadband minimum speed 10 megabits per second, 18 month minimum term. Cut off times apply for next day delivery. Excludes bank holiday, 18 plus terms apply. Hey everybody! Welcome back. As uh, I'm sure Zach mentioned, that he's here. And, I am here. <laughs> and I'm back. No longer on assignment this week. Janet's here. Uh, real quick before we get into this week's episode and questions, Janet reminded me during the well, the two of them reminded me during the Patreon pre-show that uh, we have a, a a new TV show coming out yesterday. When you're listening to this, um, that I forgot to say anything about. Um, so. When you're listening this Friday, yesterday, the 19th of January, on Hulu, a new series is coming out called Web of Death. Uh, The premise behind the series are each episode covers a case where, air quotes, internet sleuths uh, helped to accomplish something in our criminal justice system. And episode three is going to be about our season two, which is Ed Eight's case in the murder of Elnora Griffin. Uh, I think the way Hulu releases their episodes, I, I think their Netflix is the one that puts them all out at once, right? Correct. Yeah. So my episode, our episode won't be out this week. I think it'll be out in a couple of weeks. Uh, but Web of Death, the series premieres last night. So if you have Hulu, get on there and check it out. And I'll let you know, hopefully if I remember when when our episode comes out. But I'm super excited to see it. I've been 
wanting as a matter of fact my uh my tv show the, the docuseries was originally we pitched it to be ed's case uh and the network said they liked it but they thought it would take too long to get a resolution uh and then Six months, so they passed on it, and then six months later, Ed got out of prison, mm-hmm. and we ended up doing the West Memphis Three. But I've been wanting to. That was what originally got me even interested in doing a TV series. Was not because I ever wanted to be on TV. Uh, it was because I wanted to get Ed's story out for a broader audience to hear. And so I turned down a lot of interviews for stuff like this. But when they came to me and said they wanted to do it on Ed's case, I said, "Bring it on, let's do it." And so we filmed this. We decided it was while it was after it was while you were last yeah. spring. You were here. Yeah. Yeah. It was definitely happening. Yep. When they when they filmed it and uh, it's coming out now. So, uh, yeah. And Nicole in the YouTube says she'll use her free month of Hulu just to watch this. That's awesome. And so, yeah, apparently I don't if Hulu gives you a free month. There you go. You can watch yeah. it for watch it for free. So it's called Web of Death comes out on January 19th, which means my episode will probably air First week of February, like February 2nd, I'm guessing. But, cool. but I think Hulu sometimes drops two episodes. As you can tell, I don't really know what's going on. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and all I know is that it premieres on Thursday night. For all I know, all four episodes are coming out Thursday. Sounds like people might have to do a little web sleuthing of their own. Thanks, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, merch. A lot of people have been emailing me about merch. A lot of you probably already have it. We were promised that it would get shipped out the week of the 9th. So Saturday, I I reached out to the manufacturer and asked her how was it going, and she said that all domestic orders shipped out on Friday, last Friday, a week ago. So by the time you're hearing this, you should have your stuff if you live in the United States. And this week, they were shipping out the international orders, so anybody overseas should be getting them sometime soon. Uh, when you get your your merch, make sure you put some pictures on social media and tag us so we can retweet you and stuff like that. Hey, my web sleuthing tells me all six episodes are coming out on the same day. Really? Oh, and there's six? Mm-hmm. Huh. I thought there was four. <laughs> <laughs> so yep. all the entire series drops uh, Thursday. That's what it says. Oh, okay. There you go. Well, episode Very three cool. is about Ed's case. And uh, Ed and Kim, and I think his kids participated in it. They're, they're, they're going to be in it. Uh, Allison Clayton from The Innocence Project is in it. I think Roger nice. Nichols is in it. Uh, cool. Myself, good old Mike is in it. Um, you know who's not in it? <laughs> <laughs> Zach, uh, yeah. Zach is not in it. Uh, my, my my dad <laughs> might be in it. Uh, and I learned that there's a, there's a certain personality trait that has passed down from my father all the way to my son because uh, they interviewed my dad, and I was they had me sitting in there for part of his interview. And I don't know if this is going to make the cut, but when you see my dad's interview, just know that half of what he's saying, at least half, is total bullshit. <laughs> and I'm wondering how they cut it because there was at one point oh, he no. said he's like he's telling this story about how he's like yeah back when back when old Bobby was was ten years old you know he's he said I don't know he was he, I don't know what the fuck it was something about baseball or something and he said i can't do it dad and i told him whether you think you can or you think you can't you're right and they were like oh wow and i just i couldn't i was like that's bullshit that (laughs) that was a phrase i used to use and it's a i think it's from george washington i would use that (laughs) quote when i was teaching physical conditioning at the fire department that's that's something you said to me when i was 10 (laughs) so (laughs) 
Don't so say it goes down the generations because your credibility is already precarious at best. So you oh. have not helped yourself at all. Oh, it, but it was, yeah, it was, I was like trying to, and I could because, you know, me, I'm sitting there like, you can't tell lies in this because it's, God damn it. And maybe that's the way he remembered it going down. But then at night, they wanted to film just a family dinner. Which, if you've ever been to a rough family dinner at our house, they're they're a good time. Like one thing we've accomplished over the years is that our teenagers, because we have so we have a twenty two year old that's out of the house, but we have a senior and a junior, and then my son Parker who is in sixth grade. Um, but the 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 senior and junior love family dinner. They can't wait to sit down to dinner. They love bringing friends to come to family dinner that's because lovely. it's because and it's and it's nothing. It's not the cleavers. I mean, we sit there and just make fun of each other. Uh-huh. The whole time. And, and so they, first of all, they tricked Becky because Becky's like, I don't want to be on camera. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, don't worry, you won't be. And then right before dinner, they're like, let me just put this microphone on you. Mm-hmm. And then and then they filmed her. So she's upset oh, about this that. Is exciting. Uh, yeah. Here's a little, this is how the sausage is made when you watch the show. Mm-hmm. But then they started talking to Quentin, my oldest. And he, he got himself caught. In a bit of a lie early in the day. <laughs> oh no! And I don't know how this is going to play out either. I'm just getting the, I'm just getting ahead of all this. Good. So I had mentioned to the producers that Quentin had made has made me into a meme at his school because he always like if you call him on his cell phone, his voicemail says, "This is Quentin Ruff, son of Bob Ruff of the Truth and Justice podcast." And so it got to the point where all like like his English teacher told me they're like, we just did speeches this week, and every single person somehow mentioned Bob Ruff of the Truth and Justice podcast in their speech. There's a big joke that Quentin has That's created. Great. The producers are British. There's a bit of a language gap. They didn't understand what I meant by he made me into a meme, uh-huh. and so Quentin comes home from school and they're like, oh, I hear you make a lot of memes of your dad. And he's like, huh? Yeah. What? I do. And my daughter's there too. And they're like, yeah, what kind of meme? And they're like, we would love to put some of these memes on the show. Can you show us some? And of course, there are no memes. He's never made a meme. Yeah. So then he and Bella go downstairs on this computer and very quickly start making memes (laughs) of like pictures of me. Oh, no. And then at dinner, they start talking to him about it. And I don't remember what happened. All I know is... They pointed a camera at him, asked him a question, and when he was done answering, they kept the camera on him, and so he just kept talking. Yeah. And talking. False confession. And talking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and every time there was an uncomfortable silence, he kept talking. Yeah. And he was – none of it's true. He was just, was just like just oh, nonsense no. he was rambling on about to oh, the point when wonderful. dinner was over and the crew finally left – he was freaking out. He's like, "What? I don't know what happened. He's like, something happened to my brain because of the meme thing. And then my brain was like, oh, we lying now. <laughs> so then I just <laughs> so I cannot believe this. I just so you know, when you guys see the 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 show, if you see my son or my father telling don't stories. About me, none of it's true. Because they were all like, Quentin's like, yeah, I remember being in the car and my dad telling me that, you know, I'm going to get this guy out of jail, Quentin. Never happened. Never. <laughs> it didn't happen. No, that You know happened. what did happen is we started recording 
32 plus minutes ago. Yeah. Oh. And yeah. you have been telling like a, a story about the Hulu show. Sounds like a Patreon. Wait. Yeah. And, and there is like your little Patreon preview story. of uh-huh. what you would get if you were a patron and you. But often better watched. because we're also talking. <laughs> it's not just me. So don't <laughs> feel dissuaded from yeah. joining the Patreon. Okay. So, yeah. Anyway, that is, uh, uh-huh. that's me. Like literally in this moment when he brought that up on his screen, suddenly all that – those memories came rushing, came, back. came rushing back and I had yeah. a panic attack. That's why Understood. I just rambled for those five minutes. Sorry you pulled a, We call that pulling a Quentin. <laughs> right. You Except literally did what you were describing he was yeah. doing. So right. that checks out. So that being said, Great. Kelly, this seems like a good time for an ad break to cleanse everybody's palate and then we'll get right back into the show. And we're back. We have a lot to talk about. We are talking about the episode titled The End of the Rainbow, which I don't know if you felt this way, Zap, but before you know why it's called that, there's definitely a moment of like, is this the weirdest title we've ever had for a Truth and Justice episode? And it may be. I was, when I downloaded it on Sunday, I was a little alarmed. I didn't know what this meant. I didn't know if this was like, oh, we're done. So tell me though, because... I take pride in the names of the episodes. I mean, a lot of times just like LeClaire's testimony, but I was pretty happy with that title. Was there a point in the episode where you were like, oh, I get it? Yes, but I think it might serve people if you revisit because you very quickly say why it's called that at the at the top. And I think it might have slipped past some people. Um, many people it didn't. But will you just revisit uh-huh. with us why it's called that? Oh, it's because in LeClaire's on his hand-drawn map – that he drew of the wheelbarrow track, he wrote on there end of the rainbow where he found the business card. And that's strange. Yeah, it is strange, Uh, but it worked out well for me as a writer because then I got to close the episode with the business card is no pot of gold, which I thought was some of my best work. It's clever. It was clever. Good stuff. It's no liar, liar pants on fire, but it's good stuff. (laughs) Now, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That was my best line ever. I guess my question about that is he wrote that then, like he wrote that back at the time as if there was something more meaningful to it, because we keep having this conversation where we're going back and forth as to whether or not he felt that was actually important. And so it's an interesting thing to write if when you find it, you think it's meaningful. Yeah, it's also not written like by the spot on the drawing where the business card is. It's just like written at the top. There's like a note, a random note he wrote was end of the rainbow. And then in his testimony... Uh, I think more or don't, I think it was more asks him like, what did you mean by that? And he was just like, it just meant the end of the track, like where the, like he's very, I, I, w- I wish we had audio of his testimony. Cause the way I read his audio was like very, even during direct, like dismissive, like, like, like he wasn't, he definitely, I will say this about LeClaire. He definitely is not one of the people that we see. Cause oftentimes we see where like, the investigator or somebody that's on like team prosecution will be bending things and twisting right. things to try to help the case. I did not get that impression from Claire from LeClaire at all. And yeah. when you read the testimony, you'll see what I'm talking about. He's, he's, he's pretty direct and honest. I think, I mean, he just, you know, like when, when Dolan's asking him, you know, if, if the business card is important, he's like, I don't know. He's like, is it just a theory? He's like, yeah. And he's like, so maybe it's not important. He's like, might not be important at all. Like, I like yeah. he's just very open about that during his testimony. But you also say at times that you feel like the, and I, th- I think this happened in the episode prior to this more than in this episode, that you feel perhaps like when he says, I don't know, that's like 
maybe they wanted him to say something else that wasn't accurate. And he was like, I'll say I don't know, but I'm not going to say. I mean, I'm it could be. totally I mean, speculating. I'm completely wildly yeah, speculating. I, I hate that when I see it. And oftentimes that's what it seems like is because there are definitely times when they, they ask questions. I'm struggling to think of an example right off the top of my head. But we're, they'll ask a question where like, we know the answer to that. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, so didn't they find DNA on the socks that didn't match them? And he's like, I don't recall. Right. And it makes it so you can't. Because of the rules of testimony, they can't be like, what do you mean you don't know? You don't know that. And then the, they'll object and say, ask and answered. Answer, and that's, yeah. yeah. So they got it. They have to move on from it. But, you know, and it could be that all happened after he was gone, too, after he wasn't in, on the case anymore. So it could be that he genuinely didn't know. I don't know. But it was just frustrating because there, there were the points that came up that would have been helpful for the defense. There were oftentimes where he would just say, I don't know or I don't recall. Yeah. Yeah. Again, like my. We can only speculate that that's what it could mean, and that's maybe not fair to him. But um, okay, so we have a lot of questions, but I would love to hear, Zach, from you, what your thoughts were on the episode. I'm really excited that we moved into some more physical evidence. The The trial testimony is interesting, but like when Bob really started to break down like the footprints and, and breaking down the photos next to each other, that's what really intrigues me. That's always been what brings me into these cases the most is actually seeing the physical evidence and, and I have the pictures pulled up right here. And, and as Bob was talking about, I mean, it's clear what he's breaking down the episode as, as far as the dry soil, the, the wet soil, the tire tracks. I mean, there's a lot there and I'm sure there's a ton of listener questions about mm-hmm. it. So I don't want to go over it too much, but that was huge for me. And I'm so happy he brought this into the forefront. Well, real quickly, cause I haven't asked you this and I, th- I think the listeners know and trust you enough, know that, that you have no problem being the contrarian in the room. If, if you disagree with me, mm-hmm. you're looking at the photo. What are your thoughts on, the soil conditions between the video in 2017 and the original footprint. Well, I mean, clearly, clearly I'm looking at the side by side photo that's, that's pulled up on the website. So everybody can see the same photo that I'm looking at. It's very obvious that this soil where the, the footprint is from original was wet or damp because it's compressed. You can see that it's compressed in that nature. I mean, it has to be, it has to be damp or wet. There are cracks along the edges, which to me appears that it's dried and separated on mm-hmm. its own which I don't think happens, you know, it, that wouldn't happen in a, a sandy soil like that if it wasn't. Right. I mean, think about walking down the beach. You know what I mean? If you're walking yeah. literally on the on the, the water line, those tracks are harsh. And as you get into the sand, I mean, they, they change. Yeah. That's a great comparison. Where was that in the episode? So, I mean, that's, that's exactly what you're seeing here, in, in my opinion. Now, there are some tracks in some of the other photos kind of looking that maybe have a soft edge, so it's hard to tell. I mean, this particular track obviously has a hard edge, and I think everybody can see that. Some of the other evidence photos they took in, they took of the globe and the vans, some of them do appear to have a soft edge. So it could be that it's a that's a softer soil, that it's a drier soil. It yeah. could be that it was protected by by brush or something, and that's why it didn't blow away. But that's what I see. Yeah, and and so my my feelings on that are. So the tracks are supposed to be all made at the same time, mm-hmm. but because of the broken nature of the track and the wheelbarrow wheel track is that, you know, like what we experienced out there, Janet, and we saw there's areas where the washout will find the low area and go through. And I think the track went, you know, in and out of that. They didn't stay in a washout area the whole time. So when right. they're down in the washout area where it's still wet, you get tracks like that. And then areas where they're outside of it, they're much less, they're far less, less defined. Right. And that one, the exhibit 140 is the best is is the best because they're trying to get both prints. So they take a nice, clear, straight down close up. So we get to really look at the soil condition in that one. 
Yeah. Well, Bob in the chat says, you know, we could potentially get somebody who's a little more expert or somebody who's actual like career is kind of analyzing that sort of thing is do you feel like it's um yeah i don't know what it's ambiguous enough to potentially have somebody come in and do that kind of analysis on the photographs it'd be worth a try i don't know what there's probably a soil expert of some kind that we can yeah there definitely are there definitely are yeah, I'll do some looking at that. If we can find someone, we'll for sure bring him on and have him break it down. I, mean, I know I said it earlier, but I mean, literally looking at these two photos side by side, that's immediately what I think about is a beach. It's just walking down a beach. That was great. When you're talking about when you step close to shore where the sand's wet yes. compared to out where it's dry, that's a great I, – Jan, I agree with Jan. That's a great example of the difference between the two. Yeah. Okay, well, let's get into some stuff from our wonderful listeners So Autumn was one of the folks, and I know this came up last week as well, who thought that for whatever, however we described our experience being up there, there was um, a couple of people thought that we had said that we ourselves saw the hole. Um, I don't ever remember us saying that. That doesn't mean that we maybe said something that, that, you know, got conflated with our conversation about the photos of the hole with the tree roots. So she sort of sprung off of that saying... um, she had been under the impression that that was the case, and I did answer that in the follow-up on Facebook. I went ahead and answered that piece of it, but um, she says, there are a lot of theories stated as fact this week. Can we get some clarification on what the newly established evidence is? So it's just sort of an overview. Thinking back on the episode that you just did, mm-hmm. how are you feeling about like anything, anything crisp that you want to sort of clarify? Like We officially feel like we now think this about the wheel ch- barrel tracks or whatever. Well, this is this is my feeling, and it all comes down to: is the business card a part of this crime? Which, in order for it to be a part of the crime, then the wheelbarrow track and footprints have to be a part of the crime, right? So, so like if you if you found a business card three hundred yards away from a crime scene, just out in the desert somewhere, upwind of the crime scene, no less. Mm-hmm. You would not give it a second thought. The only reason it was it was thought to be maybe part of it is because there's a track there. You know, the body's in the wheelbarrow. It's wheelbarrow tracks that lead to it. So I look at it like this, despite all the issues with the card, right? Like the fact like the DNA, the state's own expert says that it shows the type of degradation you'd expect if something was outside in the weather for a year. Uh, so besides those issues with it, the card we've learned is not actually connected to the track. It is 60 feet by estimated estimated 60 feet from the last point of human activity, again, upwind. So you cannot say that the card is attached, is connected to the end of the track. That's problem one. The track itself, as we know, we already knew was a broken track after really looking and examining the photos from that were used at trial that were taken of the crime scene. I have yet to find anyone who disagrees and I'm sure there's people out there, but I have not come across anyone who disagrees that those tracks were made when the ground was wet. It had been dry for 15 days at the, on the night of the crime, which tells me if, again, if I'm just looking at this objectively, forget about DNA and stuff on the card. I'm just looking at the track objectively. Mm-hmm. The evidence would tell me that those tracks were made sometime short, like the day after a rain. They were made when the ground was still wet, which had to have been two weeks before that. So that was part of it. Then we get to the other end of the track and do the tracks connect to the wheelbarrow? 
And the answer there is also no. Now, can you ascertain that because there's a wheelbarrow and wheelbarrow tracks, they're connected? They're not that far away. Yes. But do they actually connect? And the answer is no. The tracks stop. Now, LeClaire says 25 feet. Since I've done the episode, I found um, Barrow's report. And Barrow's made a diagram where where she actually showed the distance, a measured distance from the wheelbarrow to the beginning of the track. Mm-hmm. And it's 17 feet and some inches is how far it actually is it, actually away. So 17 feet away is where the tracks start. The tracks aren't pointing in the direction of the wheelbarrow. Right. There's there's and we can see in photos the ground between the two that should hold a track. Right. Unless the wheelbarrow was put where it was found after the rain. You know, it it yeah. was it was it was there or before you know before the, there's just there's no way let me let me restate that because that's not accurate what I just said. The dirt that we see between the wheelbarrow and the track had to have been put there after the wheelbarrow moved from the end of the track to where mm-hmm. the wheelbarrow is at. Now we've also seen the hole that was dug right there. We've seen what appears to be loose dirt all over, all around that area. So the first things first is the evidence. I can't say the evidence proves that the wheelbarrow track isn't relevant to the crime scene. I think it very much indicates that, but what I can say is it certainly shows that you cannot prove that that track was made on that night, which is what yes. has to happen for the state's case. Yes. In fact, in every element counters that argument yes. or counters that theory. And my process is gather evidence, develop a theory, dig deeper into the evidence and compare the evidence to the theory. And, and you find holes being shot in the theory all over the place. Every step right. along the way, the theory that that track was made during the commission of the crime that night. Right. The evidence does not support that. Right. So then I look at, okay, so what is my theory based on the evidence that I see? My theory is that track was made the day after or at most maybe two days after a rain when the ground is still wet, but it's desert. So I would think it would probably have to be the next day because it's going to dry up quick. It dries out quickly. Yeah. yeah. Um, and and the evidence to me, a, a th- my theory is – that track was made when a tree was moved and transplanted. Now, the evidence to support that, we already have the information I just shared with you, and we have out near the end of the track is a hole where something was dug out, according to LeClaire. He dug down two feet into it of soft soil. So something big was dug out of the ground. We can see roots and stuff in the crime scene photos coming out of the edge. It looks very much like a tree was dug out of that area. Now, is it an issue that that tree is... 60 feet away from the end of the track, it's not It's not an issue because, as I've said, we only see the clear track where the ground was wet. If it was up on higher ground when they dug the tree out, then it's no problem at all. That, that, that Because for two weeks, those tracks wouldn't survive the wind in, in the desert for two weeks. Mm-hmm. But they would survive that night for two hours. Mm-hmm. But but if we're talking two weeks ago, it's not an issue. It's higher ground. It's not one of, we can see in the photos. It's not in one of the washout areas. Yeah. So that area wouldn't still be wet. So we have a hole with roots on it that supports the theory that a tree was moved. 
You've got the wheelbarrow tracks that go all the way up. And then the wheelbarrow tracks stop six feet away from where we see a freshly transplanted tree. Right. So that also supports the theory. And then to, to counter again uh, what I, I forgot here in the first round, to counter the, the theory that the wheelbarrow was used to move Becky's body on that night is the dirt that we see clumped on the inside of the wheelbarrow. Mm-hmm. I don't believe that would survive if she's in there dead, which means her body's limp and easy and moving around. It was bumped along that. And, and again, we saw that terrain was bumped along that terrain with her head kind of bouncing back and forth. I don't think there's any way that that clumped on dirt would remain on the wheelbarrow. But if we use that, if we take that clumped on dirt and compare that to the theory of it was used to move a tree mm-hmm. the day after a rain, you would expect that the ground was wet deep down where they dug the tree out and up by the house where they dug the hole to put the tree in. And it would have clumped on there when the ground was wet, which further supports the fact that that track was made when the when it was wet. Right. So, uh, of course, there are people that are on on they're insisting that Robert and Christian are guilty and therefore the card has to be a part of this that will just say that's nonsense. I've seen some, somebody made a post accidentally on our page. It was meant for somewhere else this week that, that says like, well, he, you know, Bob just dismisses the business card as though I just like out of, out of a hat, just decided it's, it's dismiss it. I've, I've explained in detail point by point based on the actual evidence. We see the reasons why that could I be wrong? Sure. I can be wrong, but I feel very comfortable that it, that it is a legitimate reason to come to this conclusion based on what we see in the in the case file hello it is ryan and i was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com i looked over the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing they were also playing chumba casino coincidence i think not everybody's loving having fun with it chumba casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We have spent a tremendous amount of time talking about it. So, uh, does, yeah, I can't. I, I absolutely cannot agree that you just dismiss something out of hand. I think again, the difficult thing about situations like this, where there is something that in retrospect you're looking at and trying to prove means nothing you have to give it so much air to prove that it means nothing so it's almost counterproductive because Mm -hmm. the more you talk about how something doesn't matter the more someone who wants it to matter makes it matter do you know what i mean so it's hard it's a hard position to be in when you're trying to prove something that was never disproven but was still used as proof for something else if that makes sense um, and so that's that's hard because the more we talk about it, I think the more people who want to believe they're guilty are like, again, we're talking so much about the business card that Bob is dismissing out of hand, but we are talking about it so much that it clearly does mean something. Like, do you know what I mean? I think there's you can yeah. get caught in a loop there. Yeah, and and to be clear, you know, it wasn't like I was trying to disprove it. It, the, you know, my purpose in it was this is the one linchpin of the state's case, the only physical evidence that connects yes. 
either of the two to this crime scene. And so I want to see what does the actual evidence show. Right. Now, if it was like if all the evidence shows like, hey, that track was made that night. Right. Then that's the conclusion we would come to. But that's that's not. It. And, and there's certainly more there. I mean, offhand from the beginning of this. The the idea that that would be the M.O. here is to kill someone way out in the desert and come back and get the wheelbarrow and then go back and get the body and then take it and park it right there has never made sense. Right. It makes I mean, but but I can't argue that doesn't make sense. I'm not Colleen Barnett. Right. Well, some people I saw someone on Facebook said, I've always assumed that the wheelbarrow was already out there. And so it was just convenient that the struggle, which no one could find any sign of, um, yeah. happened. And then the wheelbarrow happened to be there and then they happened to be able to use it. And somehow the ground was wet that night, even though it couldn't have been. Yeah. And, and even if that's the case, why? And again, we can't we can't base, you know, base a conclusion on that doesn't make sense. But even if that's the case, why bring her body all the way back, not put it in the house and then kill her parent, her mom and John and light the house on fire, not put like it's very difficult. You have to go through so many mental gymnastics to make a reason for that right. to happen. It, it, it's it's just completely out there. And then again, you add like what evidence is right. there that there was a struggle out there? Right. Zero. Right. What evidence is there? There's blood out there. Zero. There's no evidence, period, that indicates that Becky was killed out there. There just isn't any. And you can't make up any. There is no – I'm, I'm repeating myself. I'm going to do it again. There is no evidence that Becky was killed out in that desert. It is nothing more than a theory based on that track. It's a reverse engineered theory based on the based on that track. Um, and then again, you have the more issues like how many like the idea of the wheelbarrow just being out there because people just keep their wheelbarrow out in the middle of public land out there somewhere is nonsense. But even if the, so, assuming that's not the case. You've got the trip out with at least Robert and Becky. Mm -hmm. Becky's killed because I think mm -hmm. one of the state theories is that Christian was waiting in the car during the hike, which what? also was. Oh yeah, okay. Yeah, that was one of the the theories, and I, I might have been in closing or my or an open. I don't remember, or it may have just been a theory that was tossed out there. But like, yeah, I'll ride up there for and sit in the car for an hour while you go on a hike. Like, not likely. Um, but at, at, if that's the case, you have. Two sets of tracks with Robert and Becky walking on wherever their hike went mm -hmm. that ends at that point mm -hmm. and then kills her in a struggle with no evidence of that. Mm -hmm. And then at least his tracks coming back and then and then and then him and Christian both walking back out there again and then him and Christian with the wheelbarrow, and then him and Christian again walking back with the wheelbarrow. There should be so it should look like what you see in that video. Right. From 2017. That's that's what it looks like when people are going back and forth out there in the desert. There's tracks everywhere, right. not just a couple that we that we see. Yeah, I, I don't really know exactly how to specifically say when you're talking about what is the new evidence. It's none of it's new. It's just an analysis of the evidence that has always existed, Fair minus enough. the prosecution spin that Fair is enough. she's in a wheelbarrow and there's a track that leads from the wheelbarrow to the business card. Case closed. When yeah. in fact, the track isn't connected to the wheelbarrow, the card isn't connected to the track, 
you know, and I'm not going to restate all that stuff all over right, again. Right, but, right, right. Yeah. Please don't. Yeah. Um, I, I would just say, I think my sense sometimes from reading Facebook is um, that there are two to three things that people uh, are stuck on. And I totally get it. I, I get it because I feel like I was there a long time ago before I knew everything that I feel mm-hmm. like I know now or that I, I, I feel very, very confident that I know and understand now. Um, I understand it's a difference of opinion. I think that people hate the fact that they were supposed to, quote unquote, supposed to be up there that night. We can't prove yep. that they weren't in terms of Becky didn't say he canceled and yeah. the business card. I think Christian was supposed to be there and there's a business card with his DNA. My sense is that's enough. And you have to you have to start doing the mental gymnastics. Now, I could be wrong. And there are, and then, and then the cell phone thing, people feeling like their phones were off, that that means mm-hmm. something that's significant. I think that's those are the three points that I see coming up over and over again. Like, how unlucky there, could he be? Yeah, he was never he said he was never up there, but he was clearly up there. That was clearly his business, you know, his prince. And he clearly must have been up there that night. And we don't and the hike must have taken place because we if we heard a hike was supposed to take place, then we ha- and we have no evidence that it didn't then. There you go. And then everything yeah. else, maybe they don't care anymore about whether the track has anything to do with it. Because they're like, all I need to know is that Christian said he'd never been there. And there was a thing with his DNA on it. Case closed. We can reverse engineer from there. Yeah. And and don't get me wrong. Those are legitimate concerns. Like, like that's this case never would have happened against them if those circumstances didn't didn't exist. Right. Certainly. Yeah. He says he's never there. There's a card there that has his DNA on it. And yeah, there's there. They had planned a hike. That they say they canceled and no one can confirm they canceled. They can't confirm or they maybe could have, but the police never confirmed where they were maybe at instead. Right. And there's no cell phone coverage up there and their phones weren't working. Like those those three things definitely are cause for concern. But that's then why we do what we're doing. Right. Just to see like, like okay, that that is the broad picture. And I made the comparison to like Adnan's case. Uh, before you have extremely similar circumstances in his case where he had asked for a ride and she's killed while right after school when driving. And then the cell phone seems to put him where he was based on Jay's testimony when the body, you know, it's the same thing, but then we have to look at the evidence and see. And as I've always said, if they got the right person, when you start putting a microscope on the state's case, the case will get stronger. When you put a microscope on the case and the closer you look, the less sure you are. If you're being objective, there's a good chance that they they made a mistake or they just forced something to fit that didn't really fit in reality. Mm. I just noticed Amy in the chat says, in one of the crime scene photos, there's a little red wagon on its side right in front of the wheelbarrow. Is there any mention of that in the reports? To me, that's more of a sign of a struggle. But that was interesting. I haven't noticed that, Amy, but I will take a look at that. I feel like I remember seeing the wagon, but I never kind of put those together. Okay, so let's let's look at that and report back. Uh, okay, let's talk about the video for a second. Anna says, how was a videotape of the crime scene made 10 years later, actual evidence at trial? And I would add, was it? Because I'm not clear if that's no, if that was used in any way. Okay, so yeah, so this is just, you know, Anna saying, I hope it was, essentially, I hope it wasn't because there's no way to verify that location. Um, and then Teresa, this is more of a big picture thing, but Teresa was just kind of saying, you know, is there anything that can be done to change the practice of taping over surveillance video or at least preserving it for a period of time after a crime? Um, you know, who knows how many red light cameras or other businesses that could have put them there. But and that's an interesting idea that, you know, it must be it's hard. It's, it's hard to, you know, it's a storage issue. I mean, you right. have, you only have so much hard drive space or, you know, and it was there for plenty of time. 
Well, yeah. Robert told them on Monday that he was there the night before. And they preserved the video for mm-hmm. seven days. And what they time just, did they say they were there? They, they didn't really give a time. I don't right, remember okay. if he said a time. But you know, remember that interview. He's and, and again, this is – and certainly people will disagree with this. But what I'm hearing is interview. I'm hearing that, that – it sounds to me as though he doesn't one know he's a suspect. Two, he doesn't know that he doesn't know what time he needs to be alibying himself right. for. And three, that he doesn't doesn't know or hadn't thought of the fact that his that his his phone could be used to right clear things up. He's just kind of just talking through kind of a generality. But he says that they were out, they were doing the paintball thing, and then his cousin got a hold of him. They went to the AMPM, and then he went home. Right. And so again, they could have checked. His, his texts and see what time that text came through. They could have checked the surveillance camera. So we don't know. And they never know. I, I see a lot in the in the Facebook page like, well, why didn't they – somebody – I just had a conversation um, last night on Facebook where somebody said, well, it's, it's ridiculous that the police never talked to Christian's aunt who he said he wasn't sure but he thinks she was home or wasn't sure if she was home that night. Who could confirm anything? And then somebody was like, well, it's also it's also crazy that the defense didn't ask the aunt. What you, you fail to realize is these guys didn't know they were suspects or when they needed to be alibied for for 10 years. Well, so th- didn't they, they? They could have known a year later when someone came with a warrant. I mean, that's that's a that's a year later. That's a still a huge problem. But yeah. yeah. So but, but even then, they didn't know times. Right. Right. They didn't right. know the cell phone issues. All they knew was they got interviewed and there was they heard nothing else. As far as I know, it's over. They move on with their lives. Right. A year later, in 2007 in the fall, the police serve warrants and go to their house and search stuff. Mm-hmm. And then they don't hear anything after right. that. And then how many years? Seven more years go on. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden they're arrested. So and at, at that point, asking so what, what, what you're talking about there, and particularly like Christian's aunt, is saying, hey, there was a night eight years ago where the two teenage boys that are always in and out of your house, we want to know what time they were there or if they were there that night. That There's no way, even if she was like, oh, I remember, and they were home at nine o'clock. Right. Well, no one would, like, that wouldn't be reliable testimony. Right. You know, it, it's it's useless at that. But even a year later, remember, right. they're teenagers that are like going to work and going home and hanging out with each other at each other's house all the time. Right. So even a year later, it's crazy. But it's not like when they served the warrant, they said, hey, we have a warrant to search your house because we think that it that at 930 p.m. you were up the hill murdering someone and we think you left at 946 and then you didn't get back to, you know, they didn't have that information. They just right. knew that they were searching their house. Okay. And what, how many times did Robert talk to police the, within that first year before the warrant was served? Do you know? Because we've, we've only heard one interview from Robert, and we've only heard the trans, part of a transcript. You know, we've, we've heard your characterization of the interview with Christian since we don't have the audio. Yeah, and the transcript up on the, uh, is on right. the website. Yeah. Um, I think Robert was – because we're going to get – obviously, we're, moving, we're doing the case against them now. So, but, but I think he was interviewed again, I want to say in January of 2007. I think, and then maybe in October, I have to go back and through, but, but I, I think they were both interviewed another time, okay. like it, within a year of the, of the crime. Yeah. Okay. Cause there's but conversations we'll happening those. about that too. Yeah. 
I think there's a, a concern or an implication that perhaps you are planning on not covering some of that. And I know, like, for example, Kate in the chat is saying, you know, how do we look at the entire case with a microscope if we don't know the entire case against Robert and Christian? Well, we're getting there. I, you're not. Yeah, you will. Let me put it this way. Case. Let me ask all- you this. <laughs> Let me just ask you it this way. Bob, are you going to hide things from us to protect Robert and Christian? Are you going to hide things that you think will cause the public to damn them? Are you going to conceal those things from us, Bob? No. Okay. <laughs> of course not. And nor have I ever done anything like that. Great. Okay. Asked and answered. We will move on. And I'm sure we'll get into all that. Mm-hmm. Footprints. Tony. With all this being said about footprints, Tony reminds us, am I remembering correctly that none of these footprints were linked to Robert and Christian in any kind of meaningful way anyway? Yeah, that's ex- it's exactly right. Yeah, they, Thank you. They, they, were, they were matched to Robert and Christian because they, one or both of them owned a pair of vans. Yeah, that's not a match. And not only was it just like not like we don't like we know that it wasn't that pair of vans. It was a different pattern on the bottom. It was just Vance. Okay. Kate, in the chat, I was not saying that was you. Look on Facebook. You will know what I'm talking about. Let's move on. So as we've been sitting here talking, I've been digging through a lot of these photos, trying to look at them. There's a lot of things that strike me that I would really love to have somebody that knows what they're looking at look at these. Because if you look at all these photos of the footprints that they've taken photos of, there's no heel or toe impressions on any of them. I think there, uh, people's 140, there's a toe impression, but yeah. all the rest of them have no heel and no toe impression, which leads mm-hmm. me to believe they've been there for a while. Because if you look at the officer's tracks that are fresh, all have heel and toe impressions, which means you're That's moving. If you're, you know what I mean? As your foot is striking, your your heel comes down first, your toe rolls yeah. up. You have, a, you have a deeper heel and a deeper toe impression. There's no toe or heel impression on any of these footprints as you see them. So they, in my opinion, they have to be aged. Also, what's that? What is, what is that in the... What's that little white thing in the in there? So that was brought up in trial in the same f- photo uh, it, on that print. I, I think Maura Dolan says, what is this this little piece of paper trash there mm-hmm. underneath the footprint? And somehow it does. It never, the question never gets answered. But it's one thing when people are like, well, there's nothing else found out there. Like in that photo. Wouldn't you collect that as evidence? I, they, I don't think they did. But there is like a piece of paper crumpled up like that the, that footprint stepped on. Be nice to know more about that. I think, Teresa, you asked about that in the follow-up. So shout out to Teresa. That's very interesting. That's really interesting, Zach. Go you. But if you do pull up a lot of these photos, many of them don't have heel or toe impressions on almost any of them. Uh, People's 140 seems to have a toe impression, but that seems to be the one that we look at that's really wet Mm -hmm. that we've kind of put up. But other than that, none of them have. And if you look at all the other ones, like where you can see the officer's prints, they all have heel and toe impressions. Yeah, that's a good observation. I never noticed that before. Okay. Well, I love that you brought that up. That's that's a that's really really interesting. Um, okay. And and speaking of the footprints, uh, Janaya is you know sort of expounding on this idea of like finding out more about the footprints and never feeling like anyone got any full true clarification, even with the FBI um, analysis is just, you know, wondering, how about now? Is there such a thing as an expert who could determine approximate shoe size from looking at the photos? Could Vicky's co-workers be interviewed to ask if they knew her shoe size? Could John's son be asked if he knew his dad's shoe size? Or the Roxy Sandals checked? Finding out if the footprints um, were just John and Vicky feels pretty crucial to Janiah at this point. Yeah, I, th- I think that it could be done. I, I believe, I don't remember if, if it was, because it was, it was a family member that told me this. I don't remember if it was asked like at trial or like at the courthouse 
after his testimony. Uh, I don't think it was on the record. I don't remember the name of the of the of the person that identified the the footprint, but someone asked him, you know, could he de- determine the size of the shoe? And he said, "Yes, I could, but no one asked me to. Like the state didn't ask him to determine size, just just whether that one print was a globe footprint, which is the brand that Becky was wearing." Right. Okay, Jason, I want to shout you out. I know you've uh, listed this on the on the follow up a couple of times, and I don't want you to feel like I'm ignoring you. Just sometimes we just don't have time. And you you are very curious. You continue to ask, what is your theory on Becky's whereabouts on the night of the murder between 730 and 930? I feel like we've sort of talked about it, but maybe you're feeling more open ended now because of new things or. Some of some of what I'm going to get into in Sunday's episode well, I'll be talking about that on Sunday's episode. Let, okay. let me say that. So I, I'm, right. I'm doing the arson investigation. To be honest with you, I kind of wish that I had just worked the stuff. I, I've spent all week going through it and part of last week going through to to come up where I'm at. And I didn't I didn't come up with any big rock solid answers like I was hoping to. So I'm kind of upset that that's what I'm. But now I'm out of time. So that's going to be the, the episode um, okay. is we're going to go through that through that stuff. But. But yeah, I think that again. Well, well I'll, I'll explain the details and stuff why. But I think that whoever did this, I think they came, they got there, and there was an interruption, like pretty close to that time. You know that they they came to the house. I think I'm, and this is not part of Sunday's episode, so I'll share. I think they took the phone off the hook. I think they kill because I talked to a friend who used to work for a phone company. He couldn't tell me for sure. Uh, but I told him that people kept calling that night and they kept getting a busy signal. And I wanted to know if like the phone wires melted together or they were cut, if that would cause it. And he just said he didn't he didn't think so. He said if, if it's a busy signal, he thinks that there would be a phone off the hook. So but he wasn't he could, like an active line somehow in more meaningful. way. Yeah, he couldn't give me anything conclusive. So, you know, one possible theory is if somebody came in and, and the attack began then, if all they had to do is throw the phone off the hook. And that would stop if Becky was upstairs. She wouldn't be able to call nine one one or anything because the phone downstairs is off the, is off the hook. And just very quickly, um, do you remember offhand like what time did people say that they started getting a busy busy signal? Do you remember? I thought it was much later, but I could be so so wrong and have been before. Yeah, no, I think it was Javier when he was like trying to call her at like ten or eleven o'clock at night or something like that. I think he was the one that mentioned it. Yeah, so we don't know. We don't know anything. Anything we're gonna we're gonna anything between seven thirty and nine thirty, all we can really do is speculate about so what hard. was happening. Um, so hard. Of course, you know the Robert and Christian or guilty crowd will say, "Well, that's when she went on the hike." Because there's from the last time they had phone contact, that would be about, it would take them about that much time to get up there. Um, but again, I think there's other evidence indicating that something something went down pretty close to then. Um, so I. We'll get into it. we'll get into more on Sunday, but just know that anything that I say about what anyone was doing during that time, because of the nature of so much evidence being destroyed in the crimes in the in yeah. the fire, it's just it's just speculation. I thought this was really interesting. Unsurprisingly, it came from Valeria. Uh, it, Valeria says, "Is there any chance that the quote explosion that Carissa Farley heard could have been a gunshot aimed at Becky? I think we dismissed it in the past because nobody else mentioned it, but also maybe they weren't asked or." If anyone heard it, looked out of their window and saw flames, they thought it was a noise due to the fire and didn't think it was important. I don't know if the timing works out on that, but I thought that was really interesting because there was a loud sound reported by one person. So I don't know. 
Yeah, the timing is weird because she said it was like I think she said she saw the fi- like the fire was raging at that point um, when she heard the explosion. So the, the timing doesn't quite work, but it, I mean, raging there's also like she knew that like the fire trucks were already on their way. I, I, I can't don't remember, remember exactly, but I remember said. she said from her house, which is a ways away, she could see this huge fire. Okay. Uh, when she she heard what she thought was an explosion, mm-hmm. um, I don't know that anything exploded. On the scene, however, there are lots of reports of a lot of ammunition popping mm. off since then, which, of course, would sound like gunshots. But there were several of those. So, yeah, I don't know. OK. OK. I love that thinking, though. It, uh, uh, OK. Uh, so with cell phones for a moment, Sarah says, uh, did LeClaire pull sector data for any of the phones when he pulled cell phone records? Records? Doesn't look like it, no. OK. Teresa says, when did the investigators begin to look at Robert and Christian's phone records? What date were they pulled? And what date were the other teens' phone records pulled? When and who dug into their records? That's a good question. It was covered yeah. in LeClaire's testimony, but I don't remember the dates off the top of my head. I think that it was – but it was pretty close to – I want to say maybe October. Like I don't think it was years later. I think it was it was pretty close to about that time. Okay. Another great question from Sarah who says, would the handling of Becky's remains and the processing of the contents of the wheelbarrow be the responsibility of LeClaire and the crime scene technicians, or would it be the responsibility of the co- uh, county medical examiner slash coroner? Such a great question. So the, the coroner would be the one that removed the body, right? The, the coroner would take the body out and I would think would take any of like obvious parts. Like you you can see in some of the photos where like, she was taken out and then you could see like there's like hair and some things that the coroner pulled out and put in there with. Um, and, and to be clear, like as far as like what debris was left behind that way, if you read the transcripts, you'll see that he shows uh, more sh- whoever was doing the cross, like shows him the photo that I showed with the dirt clumps. It's all redacted anyway. Um, but with the dirt clumps on there, uh, he shows him that photo and shows him the things that are left behind in there. And then he shows him another photo uh, that he's that he's he's pointing out that same that that debris is still in there, and that photo was from three days later when they went back. Now on that one, I can't see. Um, I think I said like the ribs were still in there. I I don't. I should be clear. I don't know that for sure because you can't see in that photo all. You can see there's definitely lots of debris left in there, mm-hmm. um, but you can't. I just it, can't imagine not collecting. Yeah, Anything there's de- that's in that wheelbarrow. Yeah, there was definitely some stuff left behind because you can see in that. Well, well, I mean, like like hair and some stuff that was still um, still left behind. They grabbed some of it. But as far as like sifting through it, that would have been the 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 crime scene tech's job. Okay. Like they, they would process it because the cor- it's not the coroner's job to find evidence, right? So the, the coroner would have removed her body, taken anything they think is relevant to her body, and then – the yeah the the crime scene techs would then be like sifting like the coroner's not looking for bullets in the debris at the bottom i don't i should be clear too i i don't think and based on the testimony uh in the claire's testimony you know he says he didn't do any of that that would be ramirez's job is what is what he's basically saying in his testimony um but yeah it wouldn't have been them that moved the body out i don't think i think that would have been the coroner that would have yeah. done that well, speaking of that, um, the the debris that was there, Laura M. says, has it been fact-checked that her rib bones were not collected? I can't imagine LeClaire doing this recovery. Just seems an assumption has been made here. I think I might be, 
I mean, I'm reading that verbatim, but there might be like a, I'm, I might be confused about it. I think she's saying it's, it's an assumption yeah. that the bones were left. Behind. Right. Yeah. I just got confused about, I can't imagine LeClaire doing this recovery. It seems like it's a separate thought, but maybe, maybe there's, maybe I'm misunderstanding. Yeah, no, but, anyway, but yeah, but, but, but that's, I, but I, I but shout out to Laura because yeah, I mean, I think it's fair for her to say, are we sure that those are ribs? Because that's a bold statement to make about them just there's leaving for something sure like ribs. that behind. There was for sure ribs in exhibit GG, which was the wheelbarrow after the body was removed. Yeah. Um, but I don't know, I, I don't know if after her body was removed and they took the photos if then they went back and pulled out a couple more things. Like, yes. I know there's you. most of the debris is still in there. Yeah. But because of the angle, it's not, I, I don't know if particularly the ribs were still in there. Yeah. So I, I, sh- I probably shouldn't have stated that the way that I did in the, the way it comes across in the testimony, it sounds as though they're still there. Uh, yeah, but from what I saw in the photo, I didn't see the ribs themselves. There's still plenty of debris. We oh, had. It was okay. Either, it was either Bo or Nick. I think it said that. Um, I think it was Bo that Javier told him that like her skin was still on the wheelbarrow. There's still some like there's there's definitely still parts there right. that I think shouldn't have been le- left there. But, and there's debris left in there. But as far as if those bones were still there. And I don't remember how I stated it, but just it to be clear. I walked away feeling like you yourself identified with your own two eyes bones in the photos. And I could have completely misconstrued that. I but did. That's, oh, okay. And, and that exhibit GG, which is the okay. wheelbarrow after they removed her body. Yeah. The bones are still there. But. The next set of photos in the, in the, in the testimony are when they came back three days later and Moore's uh, pointing out all that shit's still in there. Okay. But, it, but he doesn't specifically say if the bones are okay. still in there. Okay. Yeah, because Kristen and Nicole, I couldn't agree more with you. I had the same exact question, which is, could we be looking at different photos from different part, like different time frames of the investigation? Like we took a picture of this version. That's where the ribs are still there. But of course, we collected the ribs. We just wanted to take a picture that they were there. And this is making people think that we didn't collect them like that sort of thing where there's the timeline yeah. of when photos are taken, like maybe, you know, could yeah. account for for some of these things that we would hope would be collected and were to be clear. The bone, the bones, the the ribs may have been collected okay. after her body. There's still plenty of debris there. Right, it was never sifted through to look for evidence. Okay, but the ribs may have. Been, I don't know okay. for sure if the ribs were taken or left because okay. in the body bag where you see where they put stuff, you could tell the stuff they took from the wheelbarrow and put in there with her. I I I, did, I don't see those. At least two, I think three ribs from the wheelbarrow. I don't see those laying there in that pile, so yeah. I don't know. Yeah, and shout out to to Bob R. I I agree with you. It's hard because if you know family members ever listen to this, we just it's already so tragic and so triggering to have to you know hear about this stuff. And uh, thank you for reminding me of that and the sensitivity to that. I couldn't appreciate that more, Bob. Um, and I am not talking to you, Bob Ruff, even though this is a different Bob R. I just realized saying Bob yeah. R. did not help clarify that. Didn't help at all. At all. <laughs> <laughs> That's on me. Um, really quickly, I just want to push back on something that I didn't see anything come up um, in the chat and, or I'm sorry, in the uh, Facebook follow up. But I wanted to, as long as as long as we're pushing back, I just wanted to push back on the Osterlo, um stuff that you were talking about. I know it's not a huge thing, but you know, I felt a little bit like you picked and choosed what you wanted about Osterlo, like. If he's full of shit, then I don't care how far away he says that the end of the wheelbarrow tracks were. Do you know what I mean? Okay. Do you remember? Yeah. Just because you were like, you know, 
he's lying about this or he's or he's full of shit about this, but he was in the military. So when he says it was far away, you know, he knows what he's talking about. I just wanted to push back and say, like, if you if, if I'm going to throw it out, I'm going to throw it all out. Like, I'm not well, going to take any of that. That's, you know what that I mean? that's fair. But to be but to make myself clear, the point I was making was the differences between what he wrote on that day and what he testified to. Okay. On that day, in his report, Mm -hmm. he wrote that it was a half mile. Okay. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing. The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. And also testified to that. On that day, he wrote in his report that they documented the tracks and there's nothing about any area of disturbance. But then when he testified... Then he says, oh, yeah, the tracks were going every direction, and it looked like there was a big area of disturbance. Okay. That was, you know, so in the, what I was doing was. So there's a consistency in one fact that he states, and then right. there's an utter inconsistency in another. Yeah. I understand that. I didn't, yeah. that was not my takeaway, so that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, that, that, was, that was my issue with it, was because when I'm reading his testimony, and he's talking about at the end of the tracks, there's tr- at the end of the tire track, there's footprints going every way in an area of disturbed earth. I was like, what the hell? LeClaire yeah. didn't say that. Ramirez didn't say that. We have no pictures of that. Why is he saying that? So then I go back to his report to see if it's consistent with what he said back then. And that part of it was not consistent. That's what I was that's what Got I was it. pointing out. Okay. But the half mile thing, that was his impression back then. I Got don't it. think he was Understood. I don't think he was full of shit when he wrote his report. <laughs> okay. I think he was full of shit when he testified Understood. later. That makes sense. Thanks for clarifying that for me. Quick shout out to Jackie. I know you mentioned the idea of um, potentially Becky screaming if she was outside. And I think we did cover that on a on a past follow up. But um, yeah, I mean, that's definitely something that we've questioned is, you know, if she mm-hmm. makes it outside, does she is she able to make any sound? Uh, and and w- and would that have been heard? Um, and that's a that's a huge question mark for me. Yeah, I don't know. It's just there's such a great distance between and also keep in mind, maybe I haven't mentioned this. Sharon Coleman in the cabin, the closest cabin, wasn't home. When she came home, the fire trucks were already there. Okay. So the closest place that's for somebody, the only thing I can think of that's even remotely yeah. close. Yeah. If you remember being up there, you got to yeah. go across the street and then down another long ways yes. before you get to another place. Yeah. So like just her screaming, and I and I'm really leaning towards more, and I want to have an ME look at the autopsy and crime scene photos. I'm leaning more and more towards the idea. That she was suffocated hmm. or, you know, strangled in, in some way. There's a tricky thing because in her body you have like the frothing that you see that happens after death oftentimes in a strangulation because of right. the edema that's happening in the in the airway and the lungs. 
you have that in the in, in the crime scene photos where she was found, but also there's fire, which will some that will happen in a fire too. But usually, and when I first looked at it, I was looking at it in respect to well, they're saying that she didn't inhale any smoke, that she was dead before the fire, but you see this kind of like frothing happen when someone dies in a fire, like they die because you know they they inhale the superheated gases and all that stuff. So it didn't add up to me until I started looking at, well, but also you see that in cases where someone is strangled. And in this case, I don't want to get into details, but you can tell that it, you can tell that that frothing action that happened happened after the fire. Hmm. So I'm, I'm kind of leaning that way, which kind of goes, which I bring it up now because we're talking about the scream as I think that it, a hypothesis that could be considered is that she did get out. She did try to scream. And someone held her down and held their hand over her mouth and nose and basically just choked her, like, you know, suffocated her in that way. Mm -hmm. And I think that would get that kind of frothing that we have. Okay. I want to just go back really quickly to um, Kate and Jennifer. Wait, was that you and Kate and Jennifer? I think so. Oh, yeah. Uh, Coming back to this this shell casing, um, the shell casing that that was next to the wheelbarrow. I know we've talked about it before, but um, but Kate and Jennifer, I think. Uh, very reasonably are kind of wanting to circle back to that and say, again, like, we're sure that's not connected in any way. It just seemed old. Is that what? We're not sure. It, it, it The investigators thought it looked old. When I looked at it, I also thought it looked like it was old and weathered, but I'm not an expert. I don't know if it was ever really examined. Um, so it's not something we should rule out. Yeah. It's just one of those things that, yeah, it kind of looks up. old and we don't have any evidence that she was shot. Uh, right. So, but also, you know, um, Jennifer reminds us that the op- autopsy did, you know, say there was no indication of strangulation. I know we talked about that with. Well, you know, they the, said that the hyoid bone, the, the hyoid bone wasn't right. broken, but that number one, you can strangle somebody without breaking it. Number two, suffocation is different than strangulation. Mm-hmm. You know, suffocate. You know, meaning holding your hand over someone's mouth and nose, stopping them from breathing until they die, is yeah. different than crushing their their larynx with your right. thumbs and cutting off their airflow that way. Yeah. And I think we're probably remembering that because that conversation too was tied to you and Jim talking about the crime scene and he had asked about any signs of strangulation and so right. at the time I think you were leaning more towards um something happening in that abdominal region and feeling like maybe you know the evidence that there was no strangulation seemed more compelling to you at that time. And in the autopsy it it does say that they don't see yeah. evidence of it because of the hyoid. Um, my question is, could there be evidence based on the uh, that, that frothing? Could that indicate that she was suffocated? Yeah. I got to start wrapping up because I know we've been doing this for a very long time. Uh, Kim wants to know how close Christian and Becky were to each other. And uh, again, kind of wondering about the, the, the idea of him giving her a card um, seems strange unless they were more connected to each other. Um, yeah, they didn't know each other very. He knew her through Robert, basically. Yeah, that whole thing is um, just the idea of like a teenage boy being like, "I have this card for you," <laughs> but I understand that's what the yeah. cards are for. So I, I, that's that's that has that, what I'm saying is meaningless. It doesn't matter. It doesn't. Mean I have anything. a hard time figuring out the card whether you're looking at Robert and Christian being guilty or innocent. Like I, I, I've, I, I don't understand the scenario. At how it ever comes up, even like even if like, yeah, Christian was there and he participated in these murders. What is he doing with the card? Why is it out there in the desert? How does it come out? Like, that's weird. 
And then like if it's just was just some innocuous thing from a year before. Also super weird. Still weird. Like I don't yeah, know. Yeah, it's weird. It's weird. Okay. Uh, Jennifer H. says, I was looking through Sexton's report from 1906 and in it he described speaking to a Steve Russell, a neighbor who didn't like the Friedleys and had a bruised and bloodshot eye. Russell said he had gotten LASIK work done on his eye. Did you see any indication the police verified his story and learn if Russell had arguments or reported problems with the Friedleys? Uh, Russell's interviewed and I, I've listened to it and I'm, I'm going to put out some bonuses with some of those if I don't oh, cool. fit them in. So just to be um, very transparent with you, with this show coming out with Hulu, they've mm-hmm. they've said that they may need to run me around places to do some press for it. Big shot. And so, uh, yeah. <laughs> but point being, I'm holding that a couple of those little interviews in case I need to just throw together an episode because I'm gone. Um, and if and if we get through that and that doesn't happen, then I will just use those as just but we'll put them out as bonuses for you. Jay, this is not a silly question at all. Uh, Jay says, do, do we ever see any dog prints, any paw prints anywhere? It doesn't seem like that's ever come up. I I thought. A t- not, a, not a dumb question. No, I thought that, and I'd have to go back through the photos, but I recall looking at one of those close-up photos and seeing what I thought was a dog print in it. But they're definitely never mentioned, and they're not like throughout. But I, I, I feel like I recall seeing one thing that looked like a dog. I want. My mind's telling me it was like by placard A or B or something, but I don't remember. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Caroline, and I know, Caroline, you've asked this a couple of times. I'm sorry I haven't gotten to it until right now. But Caroline says, when was Wampancero officially removed as the lead and Leclerc took over? I don't know. I think it was within the first couple weeks. It's mentioned, like they, they talk, but they never, even in the testimony, there's never. So on this day, you they also never talk about the reason why during the testimony and there's not like a piece of paper in the case file that says on this day, if there is, I haven't seen it. Bump and Sarah was removed as lead and LeClaire. Based on the testimony, it sounds to me like within a week or two, probably even within the first week that LeClaire took over. Okay. Yeah. Well, whenever Tiffany had that next conversation with LeClaire, she still thought the Bump and Sarah was the lead, but she, she was wrong. It was then LeClaire. That's one thing that like stood out to me as a sort of crossing point because she's like yeah. i've been calling the main guy not you you know what i mean yeah, um, yeah. real quick danielle in the chat yeah. um whose husband works for a phone i think must oh yeah i just saw that yeah she said that the phone line info if it was cut a clean cut and the wires were not crossed then calls coming in would just ring on the caller's end but if there was damage or a cross in the wires that could that would create a busy signal uh, for example, if the if the phone lines melted, so that could just be that mm. they melted in the fire. Interesting. If, if they melted and then were touching, shorting each other, according to Danielle's husband, that could create the busy signal. Wow, that's so interesting. That's great to know. Kate says, "Are we? Oh yeah, this is Kate. This is you, Kate. Yeah, I definitely have this in here. Are we? Are we going to hear the entire trial transcript like in past cases? I think that would be beneficial and give us more context to the picture the prosecution painted rather than pieces. Then we could provide input on which parts we needed to cover." more in depth and Teresa adds along the same lines if we don't hear them read could we still have redacted copies yeah as you said as always we go through the entire like part of this process now is the case against Robert and Christian we go through we're going to be going through all of the testimonies so one you learn how they built the case against them and we get all that information and then as we go through it then I'll be posting the transcript but yeah the entire we'll go we're going to go through the entire transcript and it'll all be posted and available awesome 
And then I'll just finish up with Teresa, who says, if something, this going back to the stipulated episode, if something is a stipulation, does that prohibit the defense or prosecutors from referring to it? Meaning, could they say it's been stipulated that neither Robert or Christian's DNA was found on the samples found on Becky's clothing? And does the jury get a copy of the stipulations to use when deliberating? I believe they get a copy of them. I know they're read to the jury. I'm not. This is a lawyer question that we need to ask. Um, and it, it, some of it has come up in the Facebook group from some of our lawyers, uh, but I'm not sure, sure about it. I, I believe they can get a copy of it. And I've seen parts in the transcript where they're mentioned, but they're just touched on. So like mm. when I put up like Jennifer Sniff's testimony, you don't see more saying, well, we've already stipulated that you ruled out Christian as being a contributor on this card. He doesn't say that. He says, We've already talked about the work you did on the case, so we're not going to talk about that. And then he moves and then he moves on. I don't know if that was because he wasn't allowed or if he just didn't. If he just didn't, I think that was a mistake mm-hmm. to not take the opportunity to make that point again. But I'm not sure. I'll have to get back to you, Teresa, on that when I talk to a lawyer about those rules. Yeah, I because I would I would have to think it would be given to the jury as like this is part of the case, like Make sure to read this along with everything else when you're deliberating. But Yeah. All right. Um, that's all I have. Sorry, I got a little hot under the collar there for a second. But yeah, you you had been talking today. so everyone had been talking so much about some of the mean stuff on Facebook. They got a little fired up. <laughs> <laughs> I was it felt like I was playing an attorney. I was like, Isn't it true? Your honor. <laughs> I think and and and, you know, Janet's already in the red because she's in the middle of Sketchfest. If you're around uh, San Francisco, you can go see. Yeah, come see some comedy shows. That's her big show that she puts on every year. Big festival that I can't believe she takes two hours, three hours away from to chat with us every week. I'm addicted to trying to solve this case. Yeah. Well, let's do it. Let's keep moving forward. Thank you, Janet. Thank you, Zach. Thank you. You two people. You win the show today, Zach. For and, sure. Uh, and hopefully all of you listeners are winners as well. And if you haven't checked out Web of Death, apparently my episode's out yesterday. So go check it out. Great. Can't wait. <laughs> See you next week. Thanks, everybody. NBI Studios production and is distributed by Wondery. Edited by Kelly Barron's Brink and all music for the show was created by PutThemInASong.com Our follow-up logo was created by me and all of our font across all of our logos and banners were created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. You can find more of Tate's work on Etsy. Thank you to Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website, TruthAndJusticePod.com where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. And a big thank you to our transcription team, Pamela Westby, Kathy McElhaney, Kay Woodyomnik, Ginger Viola, Erica Cantor, Danielle Rohr, Jennifer Ford, Courtney Wimberly, and Melissa Cardenas. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd like to support us, you can do so in several ways. To financially support the show, the best thing you can do is just go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. You'll not only be supporting the show, but you'll get something in return. On Patreon, you can pledge as little as $3 a month, and we have reward levels. For just $5 a month, you get access to ad-free versions of all of our episodes and behind-the-scenes bonus video content every week. Then other reward levels include t-shirts, hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. Just go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. 
You can also do us a huge favor by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. And lastly, you can always support us by supporting the brands that sponsor this program. If you have a new case that you'd like us to consider for future seasons, you can submit your cases on our website, truthandjusticepod.com. Just click on the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is to engage in our investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page on Facebook. And for all you tweeters out there, you can connect with us on Twitter at TruthJusticePod. To follow our personal accounts on social media, I can be found in all forms at Bob Ruff Truth. Janet can be found at Janet Varney. And Zach is at Z to the Q. And don't forget that we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, or tips on our cases. That phone number is 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. As for now, we're signing off. I'm Bob Ruff. I'm Zach Weaver. And I'm Janet Varney. And this has been Truth and Justice. I almost nailed that one, Kelly, but I didn't. Close enough. And I also didn't maintain eye contact, like I said. I was looking away, Kelly. I'm sorry. Oh, boy. These guys pee way too much, I think. They need to go to the urologist, see what's happening with them as I'm just talking to you. Oh, yeah. Wait, the Patreon people are here. I probably shouldn't have said all of that to the Patreon people. I was just talking to Kelly. So Patreon people, pretend like you didn't hear me talk about their urinary problems. Okay. Between us. Okay. Just between us. I appreciate you guys. And these fucking quail. I can hear these quail in here. I don't know if you guys can, if the mic picks them up, but you guys, I can hear the quail in here. And it fucking drives me nuts. I also don't know where they went. They're gone an awful long time. There's Janet. I don't know what's happening. I just keep talking. What's happening? You're on mute, Janet. Hey, everyone. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater. And this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for up to half the cost. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up! And call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single line 1, 5, and 10 gig data plans with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plans offered by T-Mobile and Verizon January 2024.